listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask? About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave the church a mission. The gospel is good news for all who believe, for the whosoever's. That's who we are, the whosoever's. But God in his great compassion, after his son would die and be buried and raised and ascend back to heaven, filled his church, the whosoever's, by faith and sent them out to carry that good news to every corner of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave Jesus. Jesus gave the Spirit, the Spirit has given us new life. God gave us a mission. And the mission that was given to the church in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is that we would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, when we come to this text, what we see is that Philip has been seeing some revival in Samaria. 
We've walked through that a little bit in discussions in the last couple weeks, but now we come to the place where we see that Philip is being shown to us just like Stephen was as one of the seven people who was picked out and picked by the church to say this person is full of the spirit full of, and full of wisdom, and he came alongside those apostles as a leader. And as persecution would come after Stephen uh, was killed, there was a scattering. And the Bible tells us that Philip went into Samaria and he saw great fruit through the gospel preaching. And he did not stop. We read that in verse number 25. He was preaching in many villages in the, Samarian, uh, in the Samaritans. I believe that Stephen and now Philip are faithful witnesses of the gospel. What God has been challenging us with is, what does it mean to be a witness and to be a faithful witness? Today I have very simple outline because I want to consider the, the, the event, but also just looking at the person of Philip. I want us to see what a faithful and a fruitful witness for Jesus will always be. The first thing that I picked up as I was studying and just looking at this, and maybe you even saw it already, and just reading through it quickly, is that a faithful and a fruitful witness for Jesus will always be in tune with the Spirit. In tune with the Spirit. You know, you can be indwelled with the Spirit and not in tune with the Spirit. That'll preach, but it's another time. <laughs> when we look at what's happening in Philip's life, we see that this is a man who is living his life in concert with Christ. He's not an independent lone ranger in my own strength, do my own thing, go if I want to, don't go if I don't feel like it type of person. His life is lived in the spirit. And what we learn is that life lived in the spirit doesn't always make sense, but it does make disciples. Amen. <laughs> Philip could have wondered why he should be taken away from success. The church is growing. People are receiving my message. Everything is well. There's revival in Samaria. And now God is calling me to where the road that leads down to Gaza. Going from a well-known place and called to a lonely place. He could have wondered all kinds of things. Why in the world? He could have, but he obeyed without question. He had no details on why he was sent there. But his ignorance about it didn't trouble him. You see, Philip just got up and he went. It wasn't told to him what he was about to find or what it was going to be like when he get there or when he got there. Recently, Jamie got a jury summons. I think this might be her first one yet. <laughs> her attitude about it is straightforward. I need to show up there that day. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I hate jury duty. <laughs> I'm going on record, okay, Dan? <laughs> I hate jury duty. It always comes at the most inopportune time. It's always an inconvenience. I feel like I can find a hundred other things to do with my time that day. I'm like, I'm busy that day. <laughs> you know why I feel that way? Because of the way I relate to it, if I'm honest with you. I made every excuse to duck, to dodge, and, and just to don't show up when it comes down to jury duty and the summons that comes. Because there's that fine print of instructions at the bottom on how you can have it postponed or how you can have it excused or how you can notify the court and say, I'm disqualified from even being there. I tried it all because of the way I relate to it. Philip's relationship, though, with the spirit led him to be quick to obey, didn't he? He didn't have to have all the answers. He just got a calling and he showed up. The man or woman that God uses is the one who knows that faithfulness is about one time, quick obedience. 
when the Spirit taps you on the shoulder, calls you to something, when the Word of God convicts you, when someone else, a brother or sister, speaks into your life, will you be quick to obey? You don't always get all the answers, or in Philip's case, you don't even get a reason. God didn't even tell him, I want you to go down here so that it's just like what's going on in Samaria. No, he just said, go, this way. He didn't even say, when you get there, you're going to meet a, a person. A He's, he said, go. And Philip just went. There's no doubt that as Philip left Samaria, where there was revival, many, many, many people coming to Christ. He would have liked to have an explanation in his natural mind of these strange and these vague instructions, but God didn't give him any of that. And that didn't stop him. It should be enough for you and I to take the next step by faith if we get even and I, any inkling of what our next step should be. We should go by faith and just strive to be faithful. A faithful witness will be in tune with the Spirit. And you know what? When we do walk as God has called us to and leave and maybe go to a deserted place or uh, God calls us from one thing to the next, what we should recognize is that we get these specific assignments, but the work is always about people, friends. God rewards fruitful work with more work, Sean. <laughs> Faithful work is rewarded with more work, but in the church is people work. Which is why I would say that the second thing we should see from Philip's life is that a faithful witness will be in touch with people. In tune with the Spirit and in touch with people. The Bible doesn't tell us that Philip had a special divine command either to flee or to preach in Samaria. We just kind of know he went there almost on his own doing. There was a progress of the scattering and he moved on. But here the angel of the Lord called him. And later it says the spirit actually urged him to run up on that chariot, right? This is very specific. He was directed to the desert. And it was in that desolate and in that empty place that he met a person who we know as the Ethiopian eunuch, the individual he was being called to. I just want to give us a little bit of background if I can. Ethiopian, when we look at it in the scriptures, or Ethiopia, can uh, throw us off just a little bit. Actually, not by much, but I think this is important. The boundaries of our ancient kingdoms, when we look in the Bible, uh, when we see them in the Bible, they don't always come out in our modern map. Our modern day country borders don't really explain to us what Ethiopia was. It was the region that extended from southern Egypt into uh, what we know is the modern day Sudan, well into much of Sudan. When was the last time you laid eyes on a Sudanese person? I spent a lot of time in Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, and every time I saw a Sudanese person, there was distinctions about them that stood out even above the rest, namely their skin tone, their darker hue, it was clear where they had been from. Dating back to Genesis, this nation that we know as Ethiopia, or that would in the Old Testament be called Cush, is named after Cush, who was one of Noah's grandsons. If you want to look at the genealogy, you can go to Genesis chapter 10. After the flood, Noah's descendants moved into the region of Nubia, and they became what are still known today as Nubians. This is important because... The first time the gospel 
is reaching a completely Gentile area outside of the Jewish bordered Samaritan town and the Jewish filled Jerusalem place. You have a completely Gentile audience that reaches into an African uh, country among the darkest people on the face of the earth. I frequently uh, visited this passage with people who try and oppose or who need help in coming to grips with the global nature of our faith. In my culture, and, and sadly even in my family, there have been no shortage of demonic and divisive people who believe and tell lies about Jesus and the gospel, not the least of which that Christianity is a white man's religion. Nothing could be further from the truth, loved ones. Mm. What we have here is the God-preserved historical account that Philip, a Greek-speaking Jew, but a Jew nonetheless, willingly crossed cultures at the command and the commissioning of God to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and the first person he reaches outside of the Jewish nation is a black man. Okay. I'd tell you that if I was pink, <laughs> red, blue, or purple. It's what the Bible has preserved for us. Who might God be calling you to? That's where it becomes practical. When he does, will you go? What if you don't speak the language? What if the culture is so different and foreign to yours? What if your people and their pe people don't quite understand one another, le much less get along? Spurgeon in 19 or 1884 said this, Oh, that there were more candor among men in these latter days and less of the prejudice which puts scales upon the eyes of so many minds, the scales of prejudice. He said candor. We don't use that word too much, but you probably know what it is. Candor is freedom from bias. It's impartiality. He said, Oh, that there was, speaking of the church, that there was more candor like this of Philip. The kind of impartiality and freedom from bias that would lead us to go to whomever. The Ethiopian had it, for he was a Gentile, and he came to Jerusalem to worship. And he didn't even know Christ. He was reading the Hebrew scriptures. And Philip had it too. To be in touch with people is to have an intuitive awareness and an empathetic attitude toward others. A faithful to the ends of the earth witness will always be impartial. You can't be global if you're only about your kind. You can't be the kind of person who would say for the good of all people. If you only care about your people. Oh, how we still need this. I think we still need this message, right? Spurgeon said we needed it in 1884. In 2023, we need it all the more. Ethiopian is all we talked about so far. What about eunuch? The title eunuch can be used of a government official who is literally a eunuch, or it could be not. And scholars, if you saw my desk today, I had 25 books. Half of them think this, half of them think that. Doesn't matter. God's word speaks. So let me press this issue for us just a little bit. Even though we can't know for certain whether or not this man was literally a eunuch, I want to treat him like one for this morning for the sake of pressing the matter a little further. A literal eunuch would have been one who is either from birth or by force 
which would have been by castration, deprived of his male organs. Deuteronomy 23 and 1 says this. This is the Bible speaking. A eunuch is a man with crushed or severed genitals. The question for us today, and my question to you is, is the gospel good news for him? Is the gospel good news for him? We've already been called to the answer this morning. Jamie read from Isaiah 56, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. That is vivid language, friends. God goes to lengths to say for the good of all people, does he not? Better than sons and daughters. They shall not be cut off. Spurgeon also said was not that pointedly personal and full of consolation when it was spoken. He says, I don't wonder that he liked to be found reading near such a choice promise wherein he saw the tender, compassionate grace of the Lord for people who are usually despised. I leaned into this to remind us that the gospel is for everybody. And I know we have guests. We're in California. That's where we do a ministry, so it's a little different, all right? <laughs> I leaned into this this morning because you better believe that with the evil that's been unleashed on humanity in our day, God has a, pl a plan to save some among the trans community. He absolutely does, friends. The good news for many today is that you may have been born that way, but you can and you must be born again. You might have transitioned, but you can be transformed by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is the good news still to this day. The challenge for the church is to examine how we're doing with listening to and loving people though, the way Christ does. There's a gentleman by the name of Preston Sprinkle. Um, he wrote what I think might be one of the most helpful recent resources on this topic. In his book, Embodied, he says this. He reminds us that if a trans person comes to your church, they should be welcomed with open arms, embraced, listened to, learned from, honored, loved, cared for, shared compassion, given the heavenly kindness, and saturated, saturated with compassion. He goes on to say, to listen is to love. You cannot love without listening. Better to sit down to listen and love a person before waxing eloquent on the nature of their experience. Mm. But it's not, it's, this is not about validating any patterns that are a perversion from God's standards and, and the norm. But what it is about is talking real. We believe that the gospel is for everybody. Amen. And here we are, we see a man who was, however you want to describe it, did it happen naturally? Was he born that way? Or was it like many, 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 many eunuchs, even in Bible history? were castrated men. And many of them were castrated in order to become slaves so that they were under full subjection to their masters. And the things that were done to them, not only cruel, very dehumanizing. But the reality is, is that God had a word from Isaiah's mouth for the eunuch. And God has a word 
today in 2023 still for the unit. And I believe even as Amelia has been standing up here this morning for us, helping us to understand the kinds of things that our kids are experiencing in school, we're going to have to get away from this. Uh, we talk so bad about people, but we never talk with them. There is going to have to be church and in touchness with people that helps it to be clear that you care, you love, you will listen, you are concerned truly about their well-being. Mm -hmm. Not just about your differences in the decisions that have been made. We don't excuse anybody's sins, but we do make room for them when Jesus does. The Bible just painted a picture for us that says God was chasing this man down. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the literal way to understand when he said, go over there while I join that chariot. He said, run up on him. I mean, a chariot is not going slow, right? <laughs> <laughs> he said, run up on him, not away yeah. from him. Okay? <laughs> not away from him. Yes, get him. God was chasing him down, and the result was that he trusted Jesus, and he was baptized on the spot. We're also told that this man went away rejoicing. He was elated, right? Yesterday there was a wedding. There was so much jubilant joy in that place. And that's what it looks like when you come to Christ. When the gospel is received, there is glee. When Jesus gets a hold of you, joy will too. No matter who you are and where you've been. Such was the case in the city of Samaria, according to verse 8. It says that when Peter was there, or, or, or when uh, Philip is there preaching, there was much joy in that city. This is the joy of salvation that is available to everyone. It comes to all who repent and believe. Remember Psalm 51, verse 12. Verse 12, written by a liar, murderer, and adulterer, but a man after God's own heart. Right? Okay? But a man after God's own heart nonetheless. David cried out to God. He said, restore to me again the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. A.K., let me again experience the rejoicing and the gladness and the freedom that comes with your deliverance. He continued and said, Lord, sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. If you're here today and you hear the Lord's voice speaking, speaking directly to your desires, there is deliverance and there is joy that is available in the person and work of Jesus, friends. Sin may or may have robbed you of this joy for a season, but repentance will restore it in a second. Mm. If you would just turn to him, if you would turn to him. We're hitting all the topics today, huh? <laughs> That's not all there is to know about this man. He was Ethiopian and he was a eunuch, but he was also a very powerful person. In him, this gospel, this reconciling, barrier-breaking gospel just, just shatters every category. He's a court official, the Bible says. A court official. This man had great responsibility. He would have been the secretary of the treasury of the kingdom of Ethiopia. We're not talking about a small amount of money. We're not talking about a small amount of goods. He worked with the queen. Candace wasn't her name. That was her title. It's like saying pharaoh or emperor. He worked for the queen. It was a name that was given to all the, the queens in Ethiopia. There have been many and multiple Candaces in history. But this man had great authority and therefore was of great influence, even to the degree that he could have had his hand on Hebrew scriptures. This is like probably for another time, but just think of a person who made that kind of a journey up to Jerusalem and had his hand on scriptures. It's not like the Bibles that we have trouble like 
reading, right? We have a shelf full of them over there. To have had your hands on these, you had to have be somebody who could actually afford to have that. This is the kind of person who had it. We could go on and on and on about what it meant for him to be a court official and what it meant for him to be someone who served and what it would have been to even be found in the desert. He was not by himself. Sometimes I always think of the Ethiopian eunuch as like this lonely guy, whatever. When you realize this man would have had a chariot that he was in and a chariot before him and behind him and a great, right? He was not traveling alone. There was a great entourage out there today. And this man full of joy said, I don't care about none of these people and what they think about me. There's water over there. I can be baptized today. The gospel is good news for the rich and the poor, mm -hmm. for the high up, for the low down, for the cast out, for the left out. Yeah. The gospel is good news for everybody, friends. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, faithful witnesses don't get tied up in all of that. We don't really mind. We don't get hung up on any of that. God is no respecter of persons. You might get called to the most popular. Or you might get called to the most poor. Our responsibility is to do what? As faithful witnesses, walk in obedience to Christ's command, his invitation, his commission to go. We go by faith. To spread that border crossing, barrier breaking, life transforming, good news about what God has done for all who believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If we repent and believe in him, Jesus brings us all back to God. Black, white, red, blue, brown, male, female, everybody back to him if we repent and we believe. And if we're going to be these people, then you and I need to know that gospel. You gotta actually have good news, which leads to our last observation. Faithful and fruitful witnesses are in tune with the Spirit, they're in touch with people, but they are also informed by the gospel. That complete sentence is what our big idea is today. A faithful witness is in tune with the Spirit, in touch with people, and informed by the gospel. Look back with me at, at verse number 30, and we'll be closing out. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Skip to verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, Ask whom? Uh, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? What an opportunity. If you've been around the church for any stretch of time, you know that that's like prime real estate in the scriptures. You just, now, now, wait a minute. But again, I said God is chasing him down. God sent him out on a lonely, desolate place in the desert. The road to Gaza would stretch all the way. It's how you get from Jerusalem all the way down there, right? Gaza. Gaza still exists. Y'all know that. And so Ethiopia, right? Egypt. So we're talking, you're going a long way. He sent him out there, and he didn't say it's a desert road. He said it's a desert place. Because when you get there, there just wasn't nothing else out there. And then when he got there, he ran up alongside a chariot, and the scripture the man was reading was Isaiah 53. <laughs> Philip opened his mouth, verse 35 says, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Here's a question for you and I. Could you do that? Could you do that? Could you begin with one scripture and tell the good news about Jesus? Old Testament, New Testament, just one line, just one verse, one psalm, one proverb. Could you do that? Philip was informed by the gospel, y'all. If we're going to have good news, we're going to have to have some good news getting into us. 
There's Christ on every page of Holy Scripture, beloved. And I just want us to be encouraged to go to it and to realize that in it, right, this week, had time with a dozen young boys. And we're talking about my sweatshirt that said 116. What does it mean? It means I'm not ashamed. Of, I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. And they ask me, well, what is the gospel? It's the power of God and the salvation. Explain more. The reality is God has given us a message and he's given us a commission and he wants us to take that. And sometimes... The thing that stops us up is that we don't really take that serious enough to even allow the gospel to wash over us so that we can walk next to somebody. And they say, for God so loved the world that this came across the screen at the, the Super Bowl party. What exactly does that verse mean? Y'all see it every year, don't you? Right. The Bible, the Bible verses are everywhere. If somebody asks you, hey, what is this talking about? Can you explain that to me? OK, in tune with the spirit, you got to be obedient, quick to obey. In touch with people, not a respecter of persons and not so put off by all these externals that you could never and absolutely informed by the gospel. I want to close by reminding us of some good news. I said there's Christ on every page of the of, of Holy Scripture. Have you not heard that Jesus is the last Adam? Adam was not just the first man in God's story. He's the representative of, of humanity and he's the head of the creation itself. Think about Adam. In a prophetic role, he was responsible to mediate God's word by trusting, keeping, and preaching it to his wife. Adam, in a priestly role, was responsible to, med uh, to mediate God's presence. He mediated God's presence to the world by universally filling it with image bearers and ruling over creation. And in a kingly role, he was given dominion over the world as the servant king who was to act as God's image and his representation as his son. As the Bible stories uh, progresses, these titles, they begin to identify other people, priests and prophets and kings, but all of them fall short. They carry on the original task, but they all anticipate the greater office holder who is Jesus Christ, the only true priest, prophet, and king. What about Noah? Jesus is the greater Noah. If Jesus is the uh, if, if he was the last Adam, as Romans would tell us by Paul, Noah was meant uh, also as a new Adam. In his story, right, you think about Noah, there were two themes that came out. There was judgment and there was salvation, which offered a foretaste of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. Noah's salvation is a foretaste of the coming salvation in Christ. We just walked through 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and following explains how our baptism corresponds to Noah's passing through the waters to find salvation. And as Noah passed through the waters of God's judgment, now men and women, no matter who they are, pass safely through the greater downpouring of God's wrath. How? In Jesus Christ. Jesus saves us from judgment. There ain't no punishment, no judgment for all who are in him. He takes the judgment on himself, friends. So much better to be found in him forever than in a, on a boat with a whole bunch of animals. And I'm talking about the family members, right? <laughs> For 40 days and 40 nights. So much better to be in Jesus. I could go on and say, what about Moses, the prophets? How many of us know Jesus is better than the law and the prophets? Do I have a witness here this morning? He's a greater exodus. Israel's exodus from Egypt was more than a one-time event. In Christ... 
An even greater exodus from slavery has come, has it not? It's been given to all who are liberated from sin. He's a greater tabernacle. The Lord instructed Israel to build a tabernacle for him to dwell with his people, which Hebrews chapter 8 says was a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. And when Jesus came to the earth, he tabernacled among us in his life. He tabernacled among us, even hanging on the cross. There is a greater presence of God that is available to you in Jesus than there ever could have been at that time. He's a greater rest. We have read and we have loved. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Through the law, God structured foretastes of the ultimate rest into the life of his people. Sabbath, feasts, celebrations, jubilees. But since it couldn't deal with sin, the people could only experience just a little bit. They never experienced true rest. But Jesus offers us this rest, which the law anticipated. Moses was a great prophet, but Jesus is far greater. I got more. I got more. So much more. <laughs> this is good news. I think about Moses himself pointing toward him in Deuteronomy 18. He said, the Lord your God, speaking to the people of Israel, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And they spent all generation after generation looking for who this prophet might be. And they were always disappointed. All of the prophets, right? Think about all the memories of the prophets. They all fell short. I thought about Jonah because I wrote down Jonah 2.9. I've always said Jonah was a meritable patriot, but he was a miserable prophet. <laughs> However, Jonah reminded me this week in chapter 2 and verse 9 that salvation is of the Lord. And all along... And all the way in God's story, the story of salvation advances a step further as the Lord takes initiative to move towards all those who are his and to save. The other prophets continued this message and they carried it forward, including Isaiah. And they showed how God reveals salvation in Jesus, in the Messiah, and how it was going to be accomplished. The Lord's salvation was made available through a suffering servant. If you think that that is a lot. I just want you to realize we just marched up to Isaiah 53. The Ethiopian eunuch had Isaiah 53, the suffering servant song in his hand. And Isaiah 53 particularly speaks of the coming of this servant, one who is from Israel, but is also distinct from Israel. He's out of, but he's not quite just within the limitations. A servant who represents Israel because he's Israel king, Israel's king, but he's an obedient son. He's without sin. We have a problem. I know you all know that. Sinful humans need to be reconciled to God. That's the problem. If you hadn't heard the bad news. But Isaiah gave us good news and a solution when he reveals how this is made possible. The Lord will accomplish a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of all who believe. And he would do it through the suffering of his obedient servant. The servant who is our savior is God's answer to our tension, to our problem, to our shortcomings, to our sin, to our brokenness, to our enmity with God, to our severed relationship with the God who created us in his image and in his likeness with dignity. 
who because of the deception of the woman or the serpent and the, the, the receiving of that of the woman Eve and Adam's sin, we fell into all kinds of depravity. There ain't no limits on it, y'all. But this morning, I was overcome with the desire to say the gospel carried by faithful witnesses is going to go into some strange places. And then what do we do? Do we actually believe that God has the power to do that? Isaiah 53, which is the scripture they were reading, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, uh, uh, is silent, he opens not his mouth. This was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus did two things, if you have not known before today. In his substitutionary death, which means that he dies in the place of all who believe, he dies on your behalf. He does two things. He takes what's yours, and he gives what's his. He takes away our iniquities. He takes away all of our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. That we can be justified before a holy God and treated as though we never sinned. In the prophet Isaiah, we find this vivid portrait of the future death of the Messiah, Jesus. And we know what that looks like. This is the good news that Philip was informed by. And that he sat in that chariot. We don't have the whole conversation, but I just imagine that must have been a lively one. Two, three pages, they would have made it to Isaiah 56. And he's telling the eunuch, look what God said. You don't have to have no shame. You remember, Luke is a physician who's writing this story. If we have these details, that means that Philip went back and told it. And so he had enough information to say it wasn't just a guy. It was actually a black guy. And it wasn't just a black guy. He was a eunuch. And he was, the, he was, he was reported to the queen of Candace. I mean, the, the queen of Ethiopia, right? He had all of these details. It was a long conversation. But at the end of the day, he gave him the good news, beginning with the scripture that was put before him. And that's because the gospel didn't originate in John 3. The gospel was preached to Adam in Genesis 3. Let me close with one last Spurgeon quote. Spurgeon said, speaking about this text, everyone who believes in Jesus may know that his sin was laid upon Christ. And it was born by Christ. And it was put away by Christ. A thing cannot be in two places at one time. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. If my sin was laid on Christ, then it cannot be on me. God cannot exact two penalties for the same offense. He's a good judge. He's holy. If he accepted Christ Jesus as my substitute, then he cannot and he will not punish me. Can you see why it's good news, friends? God's justice cannot demand twice the penalty. That's worth singing shouts about. That's worth saying hallelujah to. That's worth going to the Lord's table today with new legs. That's worth rejoicing over. There was great joy in the city because of that.